0: It's a new year, and that means new episodes on 3 and 30. I'm so excited, and I decided to do something a little different and super fun this week to kick off the new year. I'm calling it Sleep Week. Now, I don't know about you, but getting my babies, toddlers, and elementary schoolers to sleep has a huge impact on my happiness as a mother, and it has caused me serious stress, especially with those newborn babies when I felt like I didn't know what I was doing and I was so tired. And so I wanted to bring on a couple of serious experts. We're talking PhDs, master's degrees to teach us how to get our little ones to sleep, Now this episode isn't going to apply to teenagers, so if you're moms of teens, I'm sorry. I'm sure that there's a whole host of sleep problems that happen then, and we should probably get some experts on to teach us about that at a later time. But I would love, love for you to pass these episodes along to any new mom that you have in your life, or even a seasoned mom, but who has a new baby or a toddler who may be struggling with sleep. Our first episode today is with our fan favorite, Dr. Katie Penry, who has a PhD in Maternal and Infant Mental Health. She's been on the podcast, this will be her third time, her first episode with us, episode 23, How to Stop Looking at Your Phone So Much and Why It Matters. Is far and away by thousands and thousands of downloads the most popular episode that has ever aired on 3 and 30. So if you missed that, make sure you go back and listen. Her follow up episode to that is episode 41 How to Really See Your Children and Help Them See You. And then today she is going to teach us three facts you must know about infant sleep. Now, that's not all. On Thursday, we're going to have a follow-up episode with another sleep expert. Marietta Paxton is um, a licensed marriage family therapist who specializes in helping families get their children to have great sleep habits. She's going to be focusing more on the toddler and elementary years. So this is a super exciting week. It's a little bit different than what we typically do here on the podcast, but I thought it would be a fun thing for the new year. I did want to give you one disclaimer before we start. I feel like sleep methods can be something that is very controversial amongst mothers because it's so personal. How we want our babies to sleep, where we want them to sleep, how we want to bond and attach with them in those cuddly, sleepy times. Moms get really fired up about their preferred method of sleep training or not sleep training. And if there is anything that I shy away from in this podcast, it is anything controversial. I never want anybody to feel judged. I never want anybody to come away feeling like I was trying to stir up a fiery topic. So please know that as we head into this episode about newborn sleep, if you have completely different opinions about sleep and things that work with your children, you do you. You just keep doing it because you're the mom and you have a right to the revelation and the insight for your particular children. So I just wanted to say that straight up, but I do hope that these episodes on sleep will be a benefit to some families out there who may be really struggling for answers So, with that long explanation, this is episode 60, Three Facts You Must Know About Infant Sleep. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. I'm back today with Dr. Katie Penry, who is a specialist in infant and maternal mental health. She has a PhD in clinical psychology. She has done tons of extra training, specifically focusing on infants ages zero to three years old at the Brazelton Institute And she is a wealth of information about the needs of infants. So I asked her to come on to do a special episode today about infant sleep, because that is something that I know a lot of moms have a lot of stress over trying to get their babies to sleep. So Dr. Katie Penry, thanks for joining us again for another episode on 3 and 30.
1: I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited to be talking about infant sleep I know that people are craving it.
0: I love that. And you have put together a PDF that, is it 25 um, tips sleep to tips. Yeah. sleep tips? And mm-hmm. we will link to that in the show notes. I know a lot of parents will want to read all 25. Today, we're just going to focus on three major takeaways for infant sleep and we're kind of going to do the episode a little differently today, where I'm going to give the takeaway. And Dr. Penry, who's the expert, is going to weigh in and tell me whether or not I'm correct and give a little bit of the research and background on, on why it's true or not true. So kind of a fun, different episode. So th- this all stems from the fact that when my son, Noah, was a newborn. He was extremely colicky. He didn't nap well during the day. And then I really needed him to sleep at night because he was so fussy during the day that if I was going to be calm and patient and be with this crying baby all day long, I needed to get some sleep at night. So I was very anxious to you know get him sleeping through the night as quickly as I could and to do everything right. In fact, I was over-anxious, I'm sure. I So I read every sleep book I could get my hands on. I kept the little sleep logs and tried to track patterns. And in the end, there's some major takeaways that I took from the various books that I read. And now, like my sisters and my friends will call me and say, tell me their situation and say, okay, what would you do since you've read all these sleep books? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. so, so that's a little background, and I think the two books that were the most helpful for me were "Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child." Is oh, that, so one that so good?
1: So yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm glad
0: that's has the expert stamp of approval. And then the other one was "Happiest Baby on the Block" by oh, Harvey Karp. So,
1: oh, unstoppably awesome! Those two books right there are probably two of my favorites. They're by Pediatricians that just have a lot of great experience and who have worked in academic hospitals doing research. So it's like they not only have this practical, hands on experience with real babies and real parents, they actually have conducted research to back up what they're saying. So I am for like hands down both of those books. The other book that I really love, and I know that this one is kind of not so instructional. It's definitely not one that you're going to go to if you're in the middle of a ton of sleep problems, but Bringing Up Bebe by Pamela Druckerman, which is actually just, it's a memoir. And of course I'm such a sucker for memoir. It's my favorite genre next to picture books, but you know, she has this really awesome take on just the ease of being with a baby. And there's something about her style of writing that I think is really mm, relaxing for new Mm. mothers, just to say, because she introduces the idea of a whole other culture that, you know, not every culture raises babies or helps them sleep in the same way, which kind of loosens up this construct we have that Our culture, our way is the only way. Just seeing another person's experience of a different culture is really powerful, I think, for a lot of mothers because it kind of gives them the freedom to relax into their own instinct. So I would say the two books that you mentioned and then Bringing Up a Bay, just relax into your instincts. It's going to be okay.
0: And I will link all of those in the show notes if people are interested in finding those titles. And... I did also want to mention the happiest baby on the block has a DVD version that is 30 minutes. And I oh, wow. recommend that more often to stress new moms than the book, because mm-hmm. it's so much easier to watch a 30 minute DVD than to read a whole sleep book. Plus it's something you can watch with your spouse, which I think is huge with your partner. Mm -hmm. And it shows Doctor, it's Doctor Carp, right, Harvey Carp? Yes, that's Um, right. And it shows him doing the different techniques of the swaddle and the shushing of the babies, and Mm -hmm. he it shows him talking about all of the major um, components of his book. I feel like it's basically like the awesome Cliff Notes review of his book. So I I'll link the DVD as well for people who would be interested in getting that.
1: Right, because that book is actually he calls in the five S's of soothing. It's actually how to initiate your child's soothing reflex so that they can calm themselves, sleep well, and be relaxed. He also talks a lot about the infant reflexes and how you can work against those so that the child can be more successful at self-soothing. And the thing that you're saying about the DVD and then that you're including the partner, empowering your partner to be able to soothe your baby is game changing.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I will say that um, my first son, Noah's adopted, and my husband and I watched the DVD while we were waiting, like we were in Utah waiting <laughs> for Noah to be born and we watched the DVD and then Noah was born and he was like screaming one night in the hospital and Noah's birth parents called to us. We were staying in the room next door and she called me in the middle of the night and she's like, can you come help me with this baby? <laughs> and I went over there and I, and I swaddled him up and I did the five S's and she was like, <gasps> You are a miracle worker. How did you oh. know how to do that? And I was like, thank you, Dr. Karp. Like, because I'd watched that DVD, yes. I knew how to help him. Yes. And it was just like this great moment of all of us feel like I felt prepared to help him. And it actually worked in that not, it doesn't it's not like it always works in every situation like a miracle, but it did in that situation and it was awesome.
1: So you felt I really empowered. Grateful. Yes. I love it. I love it. You felt you were able to feel powerful, intuitive, skillful, and then you were able to comfort his birth mother, like this yes. is gonna be okay. Yes. Forget about it. I love it. Great story. Yeah.
0: It was. It was awesome. Okay, so the the first takeaway that I took actually from um, from that book, um, the happiest baby on the block or from that DVD was his concept of a fourth trimester, which he talks about how the first three months of a baby's life kind of think of it as your fourth trimester Uh and that you can't spoil a baby in the first three months of their life by holding them too much. Um, Or letting them sleep, or it's like just relax and enjoy your baby and let them sleep Mm -hmm. when they want to sleep and Mm -hmm. comfort them and don't worry about spoiling them in that first three months, the fourth trimester. What would you add to that, or what's the science behind that?
1: Well, just biologically speaking, human babies are born very early uh, because of the size of the human brain and the human head. And so, really, we're just talking about creative, the design of the human. The babies are born quite early, and then what they need is a continued kind of womb environment. I mean, we're not looking for a baby to really come alive, be really involved with the world for the first three months, because they're still... Almost gestating, and so the things about the womb, the loud whooshing noise, the really tight swaddle, the kind of jiggling movement, all are are really soothing and actually initiate reflexes in the fetus, and will mm-hmm. do so for the first three months of your baby's life. That's why Harvey Karp's method works so well because it's initiating some of these fetal reflexes that still last uh, mm-hmm. into this fourth trimester. Absolutely, you cannot cannot spoil a baby any more than spoiling a baby in utero that's you know you would right. say of course that's ridiculous this baby has to be in utero well you know you can't hold it too much in those first 3 months outside of uterus
0: right you said in the beginning because of the human the size of the human brain and the size of the human head meaning that a, the mother has to be able to birth the baby right the, the baby yes. can't get because of the bigger. size
1: right Right. And
0: so whereas other mammals have their babies longer in gestation. That's right. Well, because um,
1: we're upright, the way that our birth canal is shaped, the way that our hips have to support us in an upright position, they can't, you know, they if we were on all fours, our hips could be wider, our birth canal could be wider. You hear it I'm saying, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yes, totally. And so when they are born, you know, we can still treat them like they're kind of in utero. And that that just gave me so much peace as a new mom with, mm-hmm. with actually not with Noah, because I was too stressed out and trying to like, <laughs> I was like reading the books about like, get them on a schedule at like oh, a week gosh. old. And that oh, was gosh. like ridiculous mm-hmm. to me. And then once I started reading this, it helped me to kind of calm down. And then when mm-hmm. Sally was born, I just enjoyed her. I just for the first three months and held her and snuggled her as much as I wanted and didn't worry about getting her on the perfect schedule right away. And I did notice by the time that she was closer to three months that she was starting to kind of naturally Mm
1: -hmm. move
0: into more of a routine and a schedule, which I took note of and I worked Mm -hmm. with and and did start to try to, um, you know, move her schedule towards my schedule, but just having that permission to just enjoy her that first little while was huge. And I think helped a lot with, I was struggling with some postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, and it just helped that I wasn't also stressing about trying to get my baby on a schedule. Yes. I just could just hold her and bond with her and snuggle. With I
1: her. love it. The fourth, tri- the idea of the fourth trimester gave you permission to enjoy her And you noticed that she got on her own schedule over time. You didn't have to worry about it.
0: Right. Yeah. What about um, if your baby is colicky and crying a ton and Mm -hmm. you need to put them down and walk away? And so if it's during that fourth trimester time, are you Mm going to ruin them because they should be like in utero, you know, like, so tell us kind of the opposite of that.
1: Yeah. Spoiler alert. I was like, no, interrupted you. <laughs> you really, I, I mean, I love what you had actually said, Rachel, is that you had this colicky baby who was having a hard, hard time during the days. And so nighttime sleep, it's like, you knew that in order for you to be optimally responsive and consistent, you needed to take care of yourself and make sure that you are getting rest. So here's what I'll say to that. Controlled crying in a consistent Warm and loving home, no research says that that ruins the baby or that's going to do long-term damage. Mm. But exhausted and inconsistent caregiving that's struggling with exhaustion and mood disorder, there is research that says that's not okay. So if you have to put your baby down and walk away so that the baby can be safe and you can be more responsive and more consistent, then that is the better choice. Mm.
0: Um, And what about, this may or may not make it into the episode. (laughs) What Mm -hmm. about like if they're really crying at night and Mm -hmm. you need to sleep in order to be that optimal caregiver um, in the first three months, like how much of that should you allow or what other other coping strategies can you have? What would you say there? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that again, controlled crying at night in the first three months in the middle of a consistent caregiving environment, you're going to have to play it by ear. Typically you don't want your kids, your babies to be crying for very long periods of time. Definitely never over 45 minutes probably, but sometimes sometimes it has to happen. And so here's really what I'm going to say. And I think that you should put this in the podcast because I want to give women out there permission to hire an expert to supervise them with their baby. And I know that that sounds like supervising. That sounds gross, but I also I had a baby with a, a, a protein allergy. He was in a lot of pain every time that he was uh, supine, every time that he was on his back. And uh, and it took us a while to figure out the source of the pain. Okay. Cause it wasn't mm-hmm. like a reflux. It was an actual gestational pain caused by protein allergy. And so I hired somebody to actually get professional eyes on the situation. How long can I let this baby cry? And they were asking me stuff like, well, how many calories is he getting during the day how much does he weigh these kind of things so it's it's, it was almost like an an individualized answer to that question Mm. how long is okay and they were watching me they were watching him I just and I know that not every mother can do that but honestly I am such an advocate for seeking professional help whenever you're having extreme sleep problems like if you're not sleeping at all um empower if you if you absolutely can't, then I'm going to say, you need to be empowering your spouse, pumping as best you can to give him a feed so that at least you can piece together sometime. You know, going in for a pact, like, okay, well, we're just only, at most, I'm only going to get four hours of sleep at night because you're going to take one waking and I'm going to take the other. And so we're just going to, we're just going to power through this.
0: Right. I had thought like, if you can't, if you can't hire a professional to help you, I think it's time to be very honest with the people in your life and mm-hmm. say, yes. I need help, you know, and have grandma come and help at night for a little mm-hmm. while, or maybe you have a best friend or mm-hmm. someone in the church community that you could reach out to and say, like, I need can you come sleep at my house for a night, you know, or some even I mean, that's so vulnerable to ask that. But Mm -hmm. if you are mentally suffering, that you need to get and you need to sleep, there are people who can help you. I remember when I had really bad postpartum anxiety with Sally. um, Mm -hmm. I was trying to breastfeed her and I wasn't producing enough milk. She Mm -hmm. wasn't she wasn't growing. I was so stressed out. I needed to sleep. I couldn't sleep because I was so anxious. Anyway, my, I remember saying to my mother-in-law, she's like, you go to bed and I will take care of this baby. And I was like, well, what, what if I can't feed her? Like, what if my don't make enough milk and I can't Mm -hmm. feed her? And she's like, we will feed this baby, we will mix some formula, and we will feed this baby, you know, and that was such a relief to me to just know, Mm -hmm. she's in good hands, she's not going to starve, if she has to drink some formula, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, in the end, she did, I never did make much milk. And so she did end up drinking formula and she's just Mm -hmm. fine, you know? So, (laughs) but it took, I was, I was in a place of like, I couldn't see rationally. I was so sleep deprived. I was so hormonal. And it took my mother-in-law saying like, we are going to take care of you and your baby. So I really hope that people can reach out and find somebody to come and help them, um, or hire a professional to come and help them if they're really struggling with sleep or any other issue in that first little while.
1: Right. I mean, you got to, it's hard to think rationally, but during those, during those moments, but whenever you see, I mean, it's like 77% of the deaths that occur uh, to children due to maltreatment and abuse are like kids younger than three. I mean it's wow. Because you know, you got to think about whenever these women are are in so much pain that they're really hurting their children. Don't you kind of wish that that was the thing that they spent their money on, like a professional?
0: Yes. You know, yeah. like
1: it's okay if you have to talk to your bank and get a small loan, I don't care. Like that's the thing you do. That's mm. it. You know? Like I don't know. I mean, I am I feel really Absolutely, ask for help, and if you make a birth plan, also make a post-birth sleep plan. Like if things fall mm. apart, here's who I will ask. Here's how I will ask them, and here's how I will know that I need help.
0: Yeah, you said that you studied at the Brazelton Institute, and that their their goal there was to keep babies alive and to have moms thrive. Right?
1: That's right, pretty much.
0: And I, when I heard that, I was thinking keep babies alive like that. Shouldn't that just be a given? But is that what you, is this what you mean? Like shaken baby or different things like that?
1: Yes. Okay. Infant mortality rates are higher in America than they are. I, I mean, I haven't looked at this statistic in a year, but last time I checked, they were higher than any other industrialized nation. There is no reason, no reason that our infant mortality rate should be what they are, but they are so high because of mistreatment, lack of education, shaken baby, all of this stuff that really could be prevented. If we would just empower our mothers to seek help, help them know when they need help, help them understand when their babies need help. I mean, this is just the basics and we really can make a huge difference just through simply helping women seek help.
0: Yeah, Uh. So important. I'm so glad that you're spreading that message. Um, So, and I'm not sure how we got off on that from takeaway one (laughs) about about the fourth trimester. We went from just enjoy your baby and snuggle her and relax to like some pretty dire things there. But I think it's really important. It is very important to um recognize that if you need help get help for the sake right. of your baby. So
1: I mean we've already we've already done a basically three takeaways. You had this first takeaway which is understand the fourth trimester, you can't spoil a baby. Second was learn when you need to get help and third is like here's how you get help. Here's why help is important, mm. you know. <laughs> we just learned yeah. a, a lot. A lot.
0: Done. We can be done. Three, three takeaways within one takeaway. Bam, bam, bam. Well, I do have two more though. Okay, go so, for it. <laughs> so my second takeaway is that once they are ready for more of a routine, after they're kind of out of that first tri- that fourth trimester, to remember that the window of wakefulness yes. is really short. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, this is from the book, healthy sleep habits, happy child he talks about how babies really can only be awake for about two hours before they're tired out and they need to go back to sleep. And I remember that being mind blowing as a mom. I'm like, he just woke up like what? He needs to sleep again. But it was so true that when I started soothing him and heading him back towards sleep mm-hmm. around an hour and a half to two hours mm-hmm. that he would settle so much easier and he wouldn't get overstimulated and he would and he would be ready to sleep again. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about that.
1: I, I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head. If I didn't say another thing and all of you parents out there heard that in an hour and a half to two hours, you need to be soothing your baby and sending them back to sleep. This is in the first, you know, three months, maybe two months of their life sending them back to sleep you will avoid so much mood lability so much crankiness so much quote colic so many sleep problems if you just manage the window of wakefulness if your baby has been if your baby is crying a lot inconsolable a lot and consistently awake for more than 2 hours at a time chances are it is not colic chances are it's exhaustion Really seriously, that's mm. that's just good sound sleep science. So mm. I, you've said it all. You've said it perfectly.
0: Okay, and if you need to know how to soothe them back to sleep, um, I think you can refer back to the f- the five mm-hmm. the four the four S's Goodbye. by uh-huh. by Harvey Karp about how to soothe the baby, and then also in Happy Sleep Habits, Healthy Child. or wait, was it the other way around? Healthy Sleep Habits, yeah. Happy Child. Yeah. There you go. Um, He talks about like the importance of having a little routine with them where they kind of start to recognize Mm -hmm. these are this is what we do before we sleep. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be really helpful as well. So that's all in that in that book. And then my third takeaway, and I think that this is huge because there's so much debate, I feel like, between whether to let your baby cry it out to learn how to sleep and, and sleep train them or not to. Um, and, p- and moms can be really passionate and really heated on that. And it seems like from what I've read and I wanted your opinion as this expert who has studied babies, who has a doctorate in this, it just seems like whatever you choose to do, be consistent. Don't let them cry it out one night and then the next night go in there because then that's confusing them mm-hmm. and Making it worse. whatever, whatever progress they made the night before, um, on sleep training is undone when you went in there. And so that was really for nothing the night before. And it's just back and forth and in and out. And so I just felt like choose your method and do it. Is that what you would say?
1: I would say, yeah, I would say, go for it. I mean, uh, always you want to be responsive to the needs of your baby. If they, and again, this is why I say it's okay, you know, encouraging people to Seek consultation if they need it. If they're really in a in a bind, uh, because maybe the child does have need have some kind of special need or special accommodation that needs to be made. So you ultimately always want to be responsive. But once you decide on what needs to happen, yes, just be consistent. Be consistent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, children, babies who sleep train actually cry less than babies that don't. So. Uh, But, you know, maybe there are benefits of children that don't sleep train. So just kind of let go of the judgment and support one another's decisions so that all of us could just be consistent and have the persistence to really drive whatever we're doing home.
0: And I did feel like, so I did, we did do cry it out with Noah, um, and it was three days. And that's what I always tell moms yes. the first night they cry the longest. The second night, it's a little less. The third night, it's a little less. And then it's over. Mm-hmm. At least that's been mm-hmm. my experience. Um, I felt like I had to do that method with him because of what I said earlier about like, yes. I, I desperately needed to be able to take care of him during the day. Exactly. And I, so once he was old enough, I wasn't sleep training him at three months, right. you know, but once he was eating some solids. I think it was around six months that I did it with Mm -hmm. him. And, um, and the second night I was like dying, but I just reminded myself, if I go in there right now, then that's mean because that means that I let him cry last night for no reason, you know? And so I'm like, I got to do this. And it worked wonders. And he became a great sleeper and a much happier baby. And our relationship improved so much.
1: That's important. I was just going to say, see what you just said, our relationship improved and he was, he became a much happier baby and he was sleeping better. Those benefits, you just can't argue with that.
0: Yeah. And with, whereas with my second with Sally, she was a much easier going, calm temperament baby during the day. And so I didn't mind getting up in the night as much because I didn't need to be so like on my game during the day. And so I didn't really have to let her cry it out. I just, we sort of did a different sleep method with her Uh and um, she didn't sleep through as early. It was like probably 10 or 11 months before she slept all the way through the night. But I was fine getting up with her once or twice a night to feed her. So I think it just depends on the baby, on the phase of life you're in, Uh but to just be consistent and to not one day be like, okay, we're, we're doing this. We're, I'm just going to let him cry tonight. And then the next night go in there. Cause I, I just uh-uh. feel like that's so inconsistent. No, for you need to gird
1: your loins. You need to be fully, if you're going to, if you're going to do cry it out, like uh, I, a lot of times, honestly, this is the truth. A lot of times people who do cry it out, their baby usually does not cry more than 15 or 30 minutes but they will tell you the baby cried all night long for hours and hours and hours, because there's just something. I mean, you know, your brain of the maternal brain is just neurologically wired for that noise to be super abrasive and terrifying. Um, so I always say, well, if you're going to, if you're going to do sleep training, you need to get a stopwatch and you need to actually time what is happening because, uh, you'll be surprised at how little they actually cry. It's, it's okay.
0: Yeah. And is there, I mean, cause I, I've also heard people say like, there's all this evidence that says like that they'll, that they won't attach. And if you let them cry it out, that it's so bad for their brains. No. And what do you, what do you think as an expert in the field?
1: That there is not a single s- scrap of evidence to indicate that a baby that is allowed to do controlled crying in a loving, warm and consistent environment Will have any kind of long term neurological damage. There's nothing. There's nothing to indicate that. And if there is one or two studies, then it is a. It's what we call a filing drawer fallacy. It's one study in the affirmative out of thousands that say no. I'm just absolutely pro mother, pro mother choice here, as long as she is consistently creating a warm and loving and responsive environment if she has to do some kind of controlled crying or if she chooses not to if she chooses to co-sleep it's her choice
0: yeah and that's something else i'm so glad you brought up if you love that relation whatever relationship you want to have with your baby if you love it do it so like if you love co-sleeping if you love attachment parenting if you love having them right in your bed nursing all night do it. But if it's driving you crazy, there's other options. So don't think that you have to do it that way, even though it's making you crazy. That's right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for teaching us and tell people about your baby course, because a lot of people who may be listening to this particular episode may be brand new moms um, who are looking for this advice or Maybe they're not new moms, but they are. They have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about the course that you have for infant care.
1: Okay, so I have I have a couple of things that I think that your listeners to this episode might really like. The first is friendlyaffair dot com backslash twenty five sleep tips, and that's really just kind of a free opt in for people who are listening to this episode and you want to know more about sleep. You got those twenty five sleep tips. Uh, friendlyaffair dot com backslash backslash sleep tips. Uh, for you. And if you have a new baby and you want to know more about just their emotional and social development, you want to have the skills to help them sleep, the skills to help them thrive, the skills to help them attach, uh, then you're going to want my Intro to Parenting course. I mean, it really is revolutionary. It Most parenting courses focus and classes focus on the physical needs of the baby. This really extends into the relationship in the maternal baby dyad and the paternal baby dyad, and in the sociological, social, emotional health of the baby. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And you can find that at uh, a friendly affair.com backslash intro to parenting.
0: And I will have links to all of this and just as my own testimonial, everything that I've seen Dr. Penry do is phenomenal. I've been following her work for a long time. This is her third time coming on the podcast. I love what she does. So go check out her courses and I know you won't be disappointed. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and your expertise, Dr. Penry.
1: I love what you do, Rachel. Thank you for having me.
0: So that's it for episode one of sleep week. And I hope that you enjoyed that information about the babies. And I also hope that you'll be back on Thursday for information about toddlers, preschoolers, and elementary schoolers, particularly how to combat those bedtime battles (laughs) that they often bring to us with compassion and empathy, but also standing our ground. Now to recap the three takeaways that Dr. Penry and I discussed first During the first three months of your baby's life, remember they're essentially in what's called a fourth trimester, and you can treat them that way. You can love on them, hold them, rock them, shush them as much as you would like without worrying about spoiling them. That said, if you are struggling with postpartum depression, or your baby is colicky, or for whatever reason you can't hold them constantly, and you do have to let them cry sometimes, it is okay, as Dr. Penry reminded us. Takeaway number two is that the window of wakefulness is extremely short for infants. We're talking two hours between the time that they wake up to the time that they need to go back to sleep. Dr. Penry mentioned in that episode up to three months. I really found this to be true for my babies up to six months. And then third, remember to just be consistent no matter what method you believe in for sleep training or not, just stick with it instead of going back and forth out of frustration and exhaustion, because that is confusing to a baby. To not know what to expect, it's also exhausting for you. I also want to remind you that Dr. Penry really encourages moms to seek out a sleep expert if you're really feeling desperate, And we are actually going to have a sleep consultant who does this for a living on the podcast on Thursday. So I hope you will be back for that. And I hope you have a restful couple of days with your family.